0: So, if you have your Bibles, look here at this passage David just read to us, mark chapter two verse twenty three to the end. Jesus and his disciples are walking along, and they 're hungry, and they 're in the middle of a field of grain, so his disciples, you can see this in your mind 's eye they, t- they, they pluck off heads of grain, they rub off the husk in their hands. And they eat the ripe kernels of raw wheat. That's verse 23. Then in verse 24, the Pharisees, they're lurking nearby. They see the disciples having this snack and they pounce. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now, this is a serious situation. It's not about them being bizarre. And it is not about them being legalist. The Pharisees were not legalist. We've had that so ingrained in us. That when we read these passages. We automatically slot them into. That Jesus was about inward. Heartfelt honest religion. And the Pharisees were about outward. Showy hypocritical religion. That we then filter all of these passages through that. And we we miss the. What the text is actually saying. That's not what's going on here. This is not about outward external religion versus inward religion. That whole idea, that's romanticism. The whole idea that outward is fake and inward is what really matters. That's Hollywood's view of what makes love true. And we filter in that romantic view that comes out of Jane Austen and Hollywood and so many other things. We bring that to the Bible and we don't even know we're bootlegging in this enormous preconceived matrix, this preconceived kind of way of interpreting the Bible and we think we're just reading it straight. But we're not reading it straight. This is not about legalism. This is a big deal. After all, the fourth commandment is the longest commandment. Don't Work on Sundays, on Sabbath days. Don't. And God had already exiled Israel because they broke that commandment. So when they come back from exile, you know what they're going to do? We learned our lesson, right? Let's be serious about this commandment. The keeping of the Sabbath was a big deal to God. He exiled a nation. He allowed another country to attack, kill, pillage Carry off slaves. That's how important it was to God. So you can realize that the Pharisees, they're on good solid ground to say, this matters. The Sabbath, not only was it big, a big deal in Scripture, by this point it had become one of the four fundamental ways that the Jewish people embodied their relationship to God. Now, we embody our relationship to God in certain ways. There are four basic ways the Jewish people identified as God's special people. In relationship with Yahweh, the one true God. Now, I bet you can guess some of the four. One is Sabbath. Can you think of anything else that God used to set Israel apart? You belong to me in a special way. Circumcision food laws, and the temple. Those were like flags. Those were like the, 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 the flags of Israel. They were the symbols that embodied what it meant for them to be God's people. This is not about bizarre rules or over-the-top legalism. Now, the only way I know to help us understand how serious the situation is, is to just imagine walking into an army base, going to the parade ground, grabbing an American flag, throwing it on the ground, throwing lighter fluid on it, and burning it. The way those soldiers would feel about that. It's not like lighting a fire is a bad thing. It's not like burning cloth is a bad thing. It's not like burning red is a bad thing. But all of those things together, cloth with red, blue, stars, all that together equals a symbol. And when you mess with symbols, you pick a fight. Did you look? Jesus is not just messing with rules. He's messing with the flag. Right? This is serious stuff. And they've got roots in scripture for this. He's, he's messing with a fundamental issue of what it means for them to follow God. It's one thing to disagree with someone. And, and so often we think that the Pharisees, they just were just radical legalists. And I, I encourage you, get that out of your mind take that off the table and read the passage and say okay if that's not it what else is going on here and again the issue here is that jesus is messing with the sabbath it's like burning a flag at a fort at a at a army barracks this is serious stuff now how does jesus answer the charge right why are they burning a flag why, why are they doing what's unlawful on the Sabbath? Now that's the question and Jesus answers. What's his answer? Well, that's verse 25 and 26. Jesus said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat and also gave it to those who were with him. Jesus answered them. That's his answer. Now, what's he doing here? He answers their question by referring to something that King David had done 1,000 years before this. It's an event recorded in First Samuel 21. If you have your Bible, find First Samuel 21. If you're like me, you already marked it and you're already there but maybe you're slower than that and you need the table of contents. That's okay, First Samuel 21. And I'd like for somebody to read to us who's got a really loud, resonant voice, all right? Can belt it out for those who don't have their Bibles. First Samuel chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. Now, in First Samuel chapter 16, Okay, so just a few chapters before this, a very important thing had occurred. God rejected Saul as king over Israel and sent his servant Samuel to find David and anoint him. Do, do some of you know the story? Remember, he shows up at, at, at Jesse's house and he says, I need to see your sons. Jesse brings all of them out, but the runt, right? He And, and The famous line, anybody know the famous line? Samuel looks at the best, brawniest, you imagine me, really tough, tall, handsome. And and, uh, and, and Samuel looks at him and what does God say to Samuel? Anybody know this part of the story? Don't look at the outside, God sees the heart. Not him, not him, not him. Ends up, it's David. So here's what you need to know. David has already been chosen by God, marked by God. How did God mark David? By Samuel doing what to David? Pouring oil over him, okay? So God had chosen David, anointed him, and marked him as the king. But he had not yet been enthroned. Sort of like a president's elected in November and January 20th, 22nd, is um, the inauguration. And in that in-between time, we call him president-elect. David is sort of like king-elect, but there's a difference. The old king doesn't want to give up the throne, so he spends several years hunting David around Israel trying to kill David. Because kings don't like losing their jobs. Now, during this time, while David was on the run, feared for his life, he's also gathering support. If you read the stories, his his followers are growing and growing, and he's waiting on something. What is he waiting on? He's waiting on his time to come. He's waiting to be enthroned. He's been chosen. He's been marked. He's been ch- appointed by God. He's been anointed. But he's not yet been enthroned. And it's during that time, chosen, marked, as king but not yet enthroned, running for his life, being threatened by the authorities, growing a band of followers. It's during that time when David and his companions are so hungry, fleeing for their lives from the murderous king Saul, this is when they stop at the place of worship and beg for some bread. And there's no ordinary bread on hand. The priest Ahimelech gave David some of the bread of the offering, the holy bread that was kept on the special altar and that only priests could eat. And there's this funny little character, Doeg, the Edomite. Ends up, he's a spy for King Saul. And in the next chapter, he runs to King Saul, tells King Saul what happened. Anybody know what King Saul does to Ahimelech, the high priest? He kills him. Like you were aiding and abetting the enemy. Now. This is the story. Back in Mark chapter 2. That Jesus. They said. Why? Why are your disciples doing this. And breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says. Haven't you heard? And then references this story, what is it about the story of David and his soldiers and the and the bread from the house of God that actually answers the question what 's the question? The question is why are you breaking the Sabbath law? How does this story answer that question? Well, the story is an answer to the question. Only if Jesus somehow believed himself to be in an analogous situation. This is where it gets really interesting. Because when you stop and think back about the story Mark is telling, how did God mark Jesus out as the king? At his baptism. This is the root of pouring in baptism. Pouring, dunking, and sprinkling, all three are deeply rooted in Scripture. This is why most classical paintings of Jesus being baptized, it's pouring, because it's hearkening back to the anointing of a priest, the anointing of a king. God marked Jesus out as the king at his baptism. This is what I've been preaching about all along, right? What was Jesus's message? What was, if you pushed on Jesus, what came out of him? What did he talk about? The kingdom. Why? Because he's a king. Because when the king shows up, this kingdom is there. So this is Jesus's message. The whole gospels are the story of how God is becoming king again. So here is Jesus running for his life developing crowds of followers, being threatened by authorities, has not yet been enthroned. We know the rest of the story. When is Jesus enthroned? Dan referred to it this morning in a brilliant move. Dan says, Jesus came and he climbed down, down, down to his throne. What was Jesus' throne? The cross. So Jesus is in between his anointing and his enthronement. He's being threatened by the religious leaders. He's moving around Israel. Under threat from the authorities. Why do you allow them to break the Sabbath rules? Why are they doing what is unlawful? And Jesus says. Haven't you read? Your favorite king. So do you see what's happening? Jesus does not. Argue that the disciples are out of line with the rules. Jesus doesn't say anything about, no, you're wrong on your interpretation. He doesn't argue with them if the disciples were breaking the rules or not. He doesn't argue about whether the traditional rules are the best interpretation of Scripture or not. What he does is, pleads special circumstances. He says, you're right about the rules. This is a unique circumstance. The argument from David's action is not that what David did anyone can do. It's actually the opposite. What David did he could do because he had the authority to do it as the king on the run. So, Jesus doesn't claim that his disciples were not breaking the Sabbath. He claims that in this situation, the actions of the disciples were warranted. This isn't a piece of casual or wanton civil disobedience, it's a deliberate sign of what? The king is here. The king is here. Can you imagine? God himself. The way Mark writes this, by the way, look at, look at verse twenty-three, Mark chapter 2 verse 23. One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck grains of sand. Dan told you this morning, what was Mark's favorite book of the Bible? And what was Mark's first quote from Isaiah in his gospel of Jesus? Anybody know it or can find it in your Bible? What is the first thing he says from the book of Isaiah? Prepare the way of the Lord. And what did Dan tell us? One of Mark's favorite code words was the way. Mark wrote this verse, verse 23, in terrible Greek grammar. It's, it's bad. It's so bad it's awkward. It's too bad for him. It's too awkward for him unless he's got an agenda. And and, and the way to translate this is more like as they were making their way, they were plucking the heads of grain. So Mark is painting an image in your mind of of the disciples doing what? What Isaiah said to do. Because when royalty visits, one of the most common effects on a city are roadworks. That's what Isaiah says, prepare the way of the Lord, right? The king is coming. Get a path ready for him. Because kings, they don't ride over potholes. They don't. We, we give them better than that. We give them our best And so Mark is thinking back about what happened that day in the grain field. And in his mind's eye, he's seeing these disciples walking through, picking off the heads of grain, which is not making a road. I mean, you would have to get a sickle out, right? But he uses his grammar in such a way to say, they were going before the king. And they were making a way for the king. And the Pharisees said, why are they breaking the rules? And Jesus said, don't you know? One even greater than David is here. He's breaking the Sabbath in this way as a deliberate sign that the true king has arrived. He's been marked out by God, but he's not yet been recognized or enthroned. Now let's think about how all this plays out. Jesus' disciples, they're breaking the rules that have developed around the Sabbath. The Pharisees are there. They're watching Jesus very carefully. And as soon as this happens, they pounce. And why do they pounce? Why are you doing this? And he answers by this Old Testament story. And for us this evening, we need to listen to Jesus in this moment. You see his words here? They're almost the same. As Luke 15, same technique. Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees and the scribes said, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? And he told him a story in three parts, parable of the lost coin, parable of the lost sheep. But he concluded it with probably his best, best ever. What? Prodigal son. And in the story of the prodigal son, it's the only parable of Jesus that ends without an ending. How does it end? It ends with Jesus, with the father going out to the elder son who does it all right. Who says, why are you being nice to that jerk of a younger son who squandered everything? And the parable ends with Jesus saying, the father goes out to him and begs him to come in. Does the older son come in? The story doesn't tell us. Why did Jesus tell a story without an ending? Because he was answering the Pharisees saying, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? And he's saying to the Pharisees, you're the older brother. You're outside of the party. Will you please stop and come in? What did they do? In other words, he was telling a story that was really an invitation. Now we know how they, how they answered. They reached down and they picked up a club and they nailed him to it. They nailed the generous Father who is offering them life to a piece of wood. That was their answer to the extravagant generation offer, invitation. Jesus does the same thing here. He answers their question by telling a story and saying to them and saying to you and me, So what are you gonna do? You're gonna be Doeg the Edomite, lurking in corners? Spying, holding on to your loyalties. Dan did a great job over this weekend of helping us see that even disciples, even his own disciples could get it wrong. So we need to listen tonight. And we need to say, where are we in relation to Jesus? What about you? Right now, not in general, not in the abstract, but right now in your life, where are you in relation to Jesus? This passage is not an argument about legalism, about rules. The conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees is about something much bigger. Jesus is redefining Israel's hope around himself. The conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees is not about morality. It's not about religion. It's about hope and politics. I'll get to the politic part of it hopefully tomorrow. It's about loyalty. Where do your loyalties lie? We're moving through Lent. Where's your heart? The point Jesus is making is that the true king is here. The kingdom of God is breaking in. The new creation is bursting upon the world. And to be in on God's kingdom, the litmus test for your relationship to God is your relationship to Jesus. What counts? The only thing that counts is following Jesus. Are you doing that? Not in general, but right now. Are you doing that in your life? Are you opening your heart and your mind and your imagination to King Jesus? We're 11 days into Lent. We're a quarter of the way on our journey. Do what it takes. Open your heart. Open your mind and your imagination to Jesus. We've been given a great chance this weekend. In a masterful way. We've had the kingdom of God opened up for us with striking images. And just a great explanation of our upside down world. And we've been given opportunity for silence and solitude. We've been given opportunity through Lent to set time apart on a daily basis and to read scripture. And to get still. We wrote a devotional designed to to help you to get yourself still. So that your mind and your imagination and your heart can be open to King Jesus? Are you giving him space to speak into your life? Don't ask him to join you on the run. It's a still small voice. Busyness is the enemy. Are you setting aside time? Are you slowing down? Are you giving Jesus a chance to speak into your life, to realign your loyalties? Dan had that great image, right? Your car, you drive it all winter, potholes, you got to take it back in for a realignment, right? Are you giving Jesus that chance to speak into your life. You know I was walking during silence and solitude. And it kind of alternated. Between joy and despair and anger. I, there are these things that I, I felt like. God was pointing out in my life. That were embarrassing. And I was so despairing. Like I can't change this stuff. It's been a part of me for so long. And, and I just sensed Jesus saying. Stop Aubrey. Don't worry about that. I can't, I I, I give you my spirit. If you let me, I will give you the power. And your, your job of faith is to trust that I will give you the power to change. You know, Peter's and Paul's great statements. I work with the energy that he so powerfully works within me. I work. Are you setting aside time to sit with the king and to listen for his voice? To be a Christian means you open your life up to Jesus so that he can refashion you in all of your desires and your, all of your aims and attitudes and actions from the shallowest to the deepest. This is the journey of Lent. It's the journey of preparation. We're preparing to follow Jesus to the cross so that we can see him in his resurrection. We're asking God to make us loyal to Jesus from head to toe and inside and out. In your life, does Jesus have competition? That's what I think we need to do with this passage. Instead of sitting in judgment over the Pharisees as legalists, we need to realize this is a far deeper challenge to us. This is a challenge to us to say, what are we going to do? We're going to be Doeg the Edomite. We know what the Pharisees chose. That's exactly what they did. They ran off to Jerusalem, conspired with the Herodians, and killed Jesus, killed the high priest. They recapitulated the sin. And Mark wrote this gospel in such a way to say to us be careful. Just because you're a member, just because you're a Christian, doesn't mean you can't get out of line. Your loyalties can't shift. So I encourage you to open your heart to Jesus. Don't be afraid. He's not asking you to make radical change. He's asking you to open your heart to him and he'll give you a spirit. And he'll work powerfully in you. So that he can bring you in to your true humanity. Let's pray.